My name's Michael, as you've got that, my wife Suzanne. Um, we're currently living in Stoke-on-Trent. The, the smart ones of you will picked up that my voice sounds nothing like anyone from Stoke-on-Trent. Um, uh, I'm, I'm from South East London originally. Uh, my wife is from Vancouver, so if you think London's a while away, she's, she's a fair journey. Um, great to be with you this morning. Um, I'm going to ask your permission to be a little bit unconventional, although... As a guest speaker, it's always a bit dangerous saying you can be unconventional because I've no idea what you normally do. Unconventional may be your middle name, okay, in terms of how you do things. You might have trapeze artists going across. So I'm going to, yeah, yeah, sure. I thought, I, I thought you probably did. Um, so I'm going I'm to beg your permission to be a little unconventional this morning with you. Um, I hope you'll understand why when we get to the end. So bear with me in the short term. You're panicking now, aren't you? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. Um, in a minute, we're going to read... A bit of Genesis chapter 13, not yet. Okay, there you go. There's the unconventional bit to start with. Okay, you've been told off for turning to your Bibles. Okay, we're going to read Genesis chapter 13 in a minute. Some of us, it's the story of where Abraham and Lot separate. Some of us who've been around the block will have read this story and know this story inside out, back to front. So as part of being unconventional, what we've done this morning, with Keith and Andy's permission... So we're good friends of Andy and Hannah as well, particularly. So um, we, we got them on this. Um, what we've done is we put something in your tea, which means that you don't remember what happens in this story. Okay. In fact, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, I have no idea what happens in this story. Okay, just do that. You're very obedient. I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed. Um, it should wear off fairly soon after we finish the meeting. But obviously, you can use that as an excuse for the rest of the week. You know, oh, yes, sorry, sweetheart, sorry, I forgot that. It was that stuff that guy put in the tea. Okay, you can get some good capital out of that. All right. We're going to look at the story in a minute. Chris is going to come and read some bits for us in a second. Um, but let, let me give you just a brief bit of context to help you understand where Genesis chapter 13 lands. Because my understanding, and I'm guilty of this as much as anything, often we read our Bibles far too quickly. In terms of the verse comes one after the other, we read the next verse, we read the next verse. Sometimes a long time goes on in between those verses. But because it's the next verse, we're like, oh yeah, it happened straight away. I loved what Elizabeth, is it? I loved what Elizabeth shared this morning about dealing with struggles and getting to a place of seeing God in his enormity, which doesn't always change what's happening, but it does shape our perspective. So actually, maybe you should be doing this better than me. You may already be there. May, maybe what I'm going to say is going to take you backwards a bit to start with. Um, but what I've observed is very often I know the truth and believe the truth, and I struggle to apply it because it doesn't happen in the way I want it to. That's what disappointment is, isn't it? where I think God is going to do this, I've I've got an expectation, this is what's going to happen, and it doesn't happen either in the way I want it to or in the time frame that I want it to. And then I'm in danger of getting disappointed, and then I'm in danger of getting disillusioned. Okay? So we're going to look at this story in a minute. Bit of context. Okay, so, so Abraham's had this incredible promise. At the age of 75, he's had this... Incredible challenge to go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I mean, it's a bit sketchy on detail, isn't it? You're age 75. You haven't got any children. 
and God speaks to you, and this is all he says. I mean, it's pretty seismic, isn't it? To get up, leave where you're comfortable at 75, push off sunshine, go somewhere else. Oh, and by the way, I will show you, but not telling you at the minute. Sort of journey you like? Let, let's, let's get in the car, and we've no idea where we're going. And let's just, I mean, do you do that sort of thing very often? Or let, let's decide where we're going to go on holiday when we get there. Okay? Just head off to the airport or head off in the car and buy something to somewhere and see what happens. We, we, we don't like that sort of thing, if we're brutally honest, unless we're really chaotic and we tend to avoid those people. <laughs> yeah, most of us like to know what's happening. We like some idea. We, we, if we were Abraham and his name gets changed to Abraham later and I always mix and mix out. So if I say Abraham, I mean Abraham. You know what I mean, yeah? Okay, so... I mean, when was the last time you headed off with absolutely no idea of where you were going? Shopping with my wife is a bit like that. We, we go into John Lewis. I thought we were getting gloves or tights, so we come out with three skirts and a dress. You know, that's, that's, not, that's not what I was expecting, but I'm used to it now. Relocating to church plants certainly is like that. You've got a, caught something, you've heard something, you're going, you've no idea how the details are going to map out. Some things are what you expected, some things aren't. I wonder when the last time was you did something like that. We don't generally tend to do, let's head off in the distance and see what happens. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting that Abraham's call to God isn't, uh, God's call to Abraham isn't without substance. It's a huge promise. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all families of the earth... I mean, that's huge. It's not like, yeah, let's go somewhere, see what happens. Who knows, there may be something in it for you. No, there's, there's a huge promise that God is putting in front of Abraham, but he's still a bit sketchy on the actual details and the plan. It's a huge promise, but if you're someone who likes a bit more detail, it could be a bit more forthcoming, you could add. Here's Abraham... 75 years old, without any children, and leaving everything to head off to somewhere he doesn't know. So later, that's chapter 12, begin chapter 12. Later in chapter 12, after a journey of, oh, some thousand miles. Thousand miles. He gets to a place called Shechem in the land of Canaan. And God speaks to him again. Press pause. thousand miles. Any idea where you could get to? And Suzanne and I have done this in the name of research. Where could you get to if you started out that door and walked a thousand miles? Any idea? Where, <laughs> you get where, where place would you get to? Or is there a place called wet that's a thousand miles? <laughs> where, where would you get to? Any ideas? Beyond Paris, okay. That's brave. Well, I mean, you'd be whistling the proclaimer's tune, which Abraham was. So you do 500 miles, then you do 500 more. Yeah, okay, that's dating me, okay. <laughs> Abraham did it before the proclaimers, okay. Madrid, from here, right from here, from Chester, not from anywhere else, you'd be 883 miles to get to Madrid. 
Warsaw in Poland, 1001. Be a bit more generous with it. You could get to Rome. You could just about, if you stretch it a little bit, you could get to Africa. Thousand miles. You didn't fly. He didn't even get a decent car, hired in different places. He would have made that journey. We don't know exactly how he made it, but it would have been like a, a caravan of people traveling. Thousand miles. So, again, not exactly a, yeah, I'll pop down the road and pick up this and see what happens. Thousand miles. He gets to Shechem, and at Shechem, God speaks to him again. He tells Abraham that this is the land. Thousand miles later, he's got to the land. Woo! End of story, surely. Rather bizarrely, once he's got there, there's a famine in the land. What's that about? God controls everything, yes? He, he oversees Abraham coming from a thousand mile journey to get to the land that he wants, and then there's a famine, and he has to relocate to Egypt. I mean, if, if you were writing the story, is that how you would make it happen? Yeah, Abraham, we'll get you all the way there, a thousand mile trek, and now you're here, and now I've spoken to you, and now we're convinced this is the place. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, there's no food, um, and you'll have to go to Egypt for a bit. Bizarre, isn't it? We read our Bibles too quick. Oh, yeah, thousand-mile journey, then pop off to Egypt, then pop back again, almost as though we're going out to get some milk. And then, as chapter 13 starts, Abraham's returning from Egypt... He's got Lot with him, who's his nephew. Oh, you don't remember the story. Lot's his nephew, okay? And uh, the point you need to know is, as Chris comes and reads the story in a minute, Lot has been with him through everything up to now. He's done the thousand-mile journey. He's done the relocation to Egypt. He's heard all the promises. And now there's going to be some sort of minor domestic that's going to cause... Separation and challenge. Tensions are just about to come to a head. So Genesis 13, reading from verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. 
Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This is this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Excellent, thank you. You're going to hear from Chris again in a minute, because we've stopped the story there. You don't know what happens next. I want to suggest to you that when Abraham got up, maybe when his trustees were meeting with Lot's trustees or whatever it was to, to find the resolution, you're not sure. You're not sure what's going to happen. Maybe for Abraham there is no great expectation of credible revelation that might may not be coming. Maybe for Abraham, maybe it's just like a normal day. There's this domestic situation that needs to be sorted out not quite sure what the implications of it are going to be. I would suggest that if we press pause there and don't know what's happening, which of course you don't, we're very concerned for Abraham, actually. Here he is, come back after all that journey, and not only has he got to deal with a domestic dispute, which means his nephew, who's been with him up to now, is going to go off on his own. But actually, we're hugely concerned for Abraham that he's got second best, second choice. I mean, that's outrageous, actually, that the older patriarch should allow the younger nephew to take first choice. It's even more outrageous that Lot accepted it. He should have deferred back. Abraham should have had first choice. Shouldn't have been Lot. In that culture, that would be quite offensive for the younger guy to get choice. I think we have to have some sense of disappointment for Abraham, some sense of concern for him. After a thousand miles, backwards and forwards, now separated from his nephew and his nephew getting first dibs on all the good stuff. I think as a, if I was Abraham's mate, if I was in the party, I'd be somewhat concerned about what God seems to be doing with him in the way it's working out. Lots agreed to travel with him from the outside. He must have been supportive of Abraham. He must have been a source of encouragement. He's gone. And we see them needing to separate just in order to survive. So just press pause. Imagine, if you will, and I'm speculating here, imagine if you're Abraham, Abraham is there, He's given Lot first call as to where he can go, and Lot's rationale seems to be, I'm taking the best push off. He's, he's grabbed what he thinks. It doesn't seem to be any concern for Abraham, does there? Are you going to be all right, Uncle Abraham? I seem to have taken all the best things. Gosh, that's not very British. He doesn't seem that concerned about his welfare, does he? And he's setting off onto his own. Maybe... Maybe Abraham's left with a sense of second best. Now, I'm not going to spoil the story for you. 
Um, you can read up on your own and find out later you don't know what happens. But it doesn't actually end well for Lot. I mean, it's quite tragic for his family, ultimately the decision that he makes. But let, let's stay with Abraham. He seems to have lost any good prospects for his future. So if you imagine, if you will, Abraham standing there, Lot and his guys moving off, Abraham has, hears someone muttering in Lot's party that there's no fool like an old fool. He sees the herdsmen, Lot's herdsmen, high-fiving each other because they've got the best deal. He tries to avoid catching the eye of his own chief herdsman, who's furious that Abraham's allowed himself to be pushed to the sides. He's wondering, how am I going to explain this to Sarai? She's been with me through thick and thin thus far, and I can't see how this is working out. Those are real possibilities. Those are real possibilities. I'm not speculating, okay, but that's not in the text, not even in the original Hebrew, okay? But if you're anything, if Abraham is anything like me, and the Bible tells me he is, then those are real situations that I experience of disappointment, uncertainty, and confusion. The Apostle Paul said, didn't he, about right about being perplexed. So we're in good company when we're like that. But sometimes we read too quickly what happens next. Chris is going to come and read what happens next. I'm going to put one caveat in as he reads that. It's the next verse, and we like to think it happened as Lot guys were walking off in the distance. We don't know. We have no idea what the time gap is between the verse that Chris finished on and the verse he's going to do now for us. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. You can have a rest now. Okay, I won't need you again. Jack in the box, jump up and down, says, well done. I wonder. Okay, I'm not, never mind. You can read that, can't you? I'll tell it to you. It goes, obviously, it doesn't like the font. I wonder what the difference is between Lot and Abraham. They both see things. Lot sees what he sees, which is very human, very secular, very materialistic, quite sensible. If you're given the choice, why would you not take the land that looks best? Let's not diss him. Actually, what Abraham sees is what God shows him. He asks him to lift his head from where he is. He asks him to look and expect wider stuff. Through a relatively mundane event, a domestic issue, which I know you guys wouldn't have any of those to sort out here, um, you know, through a domestic resolution... God speaks in huge prosperity to Abraham. 
It's not, okay, actually, Lot's taken that stuff, and Abraham, it looks better, but it isn't, because I've got something over here that's not quite as big, but better. No, you're going to get all this anyway, is what he speaks to him. Mind-blowing, lifting of gaze, mind-blowing expectation of what God wants to do through this man. If you can count your offspring, or if you can count them, that's what your offspring will be. Just open-ended blessing. God speaking to this man from, I would say, a fairly mundane event or a fairly mundane expectation. God does engage with us through those. Mundane things that we do, everyday things that we do, God speaks and provides and engages with us through that. But also, there are suddenly moments, aren't there? Suddenly moments when he gets our attention, where what we were on, what we were doing, suddenly isn't what we want to do anymore where suddenly God's got a hold of us and shown us something different. And everything else changes in a way that is exciting, but maybe even a bit scary, which maybe makes us act recklessly or out of character to how other people who, are like, who know us well and are maybe because of a scratch in the head thinking, I hope you're going to be okay. Suddenly God says something, shakes us, speaks to us, redirects us, and it's anything but mundane. It's going to change our lives. It's going to change the lives of people around us. Like Abraham, God shows us something and we see something. Something that excites, something that energizes, something that causes the plan for the future as we consider implications and expectations, but also leaves us a little bit, whoa. Think about it. You will have had moments like that. For some of you, it might be the reason you're sitting here. But God's spoken to you and redirected you and taken you, not on that you were going this way, and he moved you. He changed you. You thought you were going to this, you thought you were going to that. There was nothing wrong with that. But all of a sudden, God got hold of you, realigned you, and you set off in a different direction. Most of us have had moments like that, some more than one, some more than two. But God gets a hold of us. He shows us something like that, and the moments that lift us above the mundane, sustain us through the mundane, and excite us and scare us, sometimes in equal measure. As we realize, actually, God's called me to do this. I have no choice but to obey. First time Suzanne and I moved to Church Plant, which was from Kent, and we moved to Stafford, the call was very clear. Almost the sense of, I remember saying to someone, well, actually, it's just an issue for us of obedience or disobedience. God's made it very clear to us. It's not like, oh, we're not sure. No, we know. There's elements of which we're excited about that, elements to which we'd far rather stay where we are. Thank you very much. We've got a choice. We've got a choice where we walk in obedience or disobedience. I wonder what God said to you. I wonder what God's spoken over you as as a corporate group, as a community, as individuals. Maybe things that he said to you that haven't materialized yet, or certainly you can't see how they're going to work out in the course of life that you're in in a minute. I wonder if you noticed, I'm sure you did because you're smart guys, what God said to Abraham at the beginning wasn't the complete picture. Go, leave where you are, go to somewhere that I will show you. God didn't download everything to Abraham at the outset. He had to journey in faith. He had to be obedient in faith without knowing 
the specifics of what that would look like. Now, God spoke to him again later, but it was oh, just a slight matter of a thousand-mile journey. Before he hears the next bit. If you're anything like me, you won't like that. Come on, God, I'd like a bit more detail, please. I don't want a small print or anything. I'd like to know this, this, and what's going on, and, who, what, and when will that be? Often that's what we're like. And often in my Bible, which I'm hoping is the same as yours, that's what I read of people doing. Things happening that took a lot more time than I think they should have done. I mean, why, for goodness sake, is Moses in the wilderness for 40 jolly years? 40 years! Just to calm down a bit. 40 years while people in Egypt are dying. They're in slavery. They're being oppressed. It's not like, oh, we're having a nice picnic here. We can wait for Moses to take his time. People are dying. Generation of God's people is being oppressed and dying, and it takes 40 years for Moses to be ready to come back. And I think we could improve that training program, couldn't we? Would you, You'd be happy. So imagine you're in Egypt, and you've been told, yeah, this Moses guy is going to come at some point. It'll take another 40 years. Is that okay? Carry on building your pyramids without whatever, and working hard and getting mistreated and oppressed. Do you mind? Yeah, that sounds a fair deal. We're happy to wait for 40 years. I don't think so. And yet often in the Bible, things don't happen in the way that I think they should. Now, please don't mishear what I'm saying. Okay? I trust that God is good and he's sovereign and he knows what he's doing. I've got to line up with him. That's where the challenge comes. And I think that was part of Elizabeth's story this morning, wasn't it? We don't always get the resolutions that we want in the way that we want, in the time that we want. And that's where we have to realign ourselves with this God that loves us, who's a good, good father, but doesn't always seem to do things quite the way we think he should. Or is it just me? Jo Joseph had great dreams. He was sent to Egypt by his brothers. And just when you think the story's turning, it changes again. And I love this bit. Well, I don't, it just perplexes me. But Joseph's in prison at one point, and we're told that he's got favour from God. And that favour from God gets him like a little bit of reward from the guy in charge of the prison. It doesn't get him out! Favour from God, and he's in prison. Seriously? Oh, yeah, no, he's got a little bit of um, patronage. The top guy likes him. I'm sure that made his life a bit easier. But I would want to get out of the prison. And then we've got, some, oh, we've got a solution because there's a dream and this guy can go back and he can get me out. And he forgets. I thought God was sovereign. Surely he could, hey, mate, remember? Surely there's a way that God could do that so the guy didn't forget or at least got reminded. Now, again, we know the story. Because your tea, your tea drink's wearing off now. You can remember the story of Joseph, can't you? Yeah? Yeah, you see, it's working. All right? He gets ushered out of prison at exactly the right time. Because had he got released two years earlier, where would he have gone? He'd have gone into obscurity, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah, there's some guy who drink. Sure, yeah, release him. We can't have people in prison. He's not going to get ushered into the presence of Pharaoh. So we understand. Sometimes we understand why there's a pause, why there's not happening in the time that we want to. Other times we don't. 
So you, you give me, please, I'm happy I'll take a cue at the end. You give me a good reason why Moses was 40 years in the wilderness that I can understand. I say, oh, yeah, I've got it now. I'll wait all day for that. I'm happy to. We don't always understand how it works out. Sometimes we get an outline first. If you've got an outline, if God said something to you, don't be afraid to expect more development with it. I think sometimes some of us, God's spoken to us, and it becomes almost like a trophy thing. I remember hearing a story once about a couple who'd had it made into a nice embroidery. There's nothing wrong with that if you've had that done, but God had said something over their lives that had it made into a really nice embroidery, and they kept it in a particular drawer. And on the anniversary of the day that it was given, they would get it out, pray about it, get really excited about it, and then stick it back in the drawer till next year. If God said something to you, and it hasn't worked out in the way that you thought it would, Go back to him. He'll breathe fresh new life onto it. It wasn't like Abraham, this is a one-off moment. Get up, go somewhere I want to. Don't expect to hear from me again. Abraham did what God told him, and then God spoke some more to him. It didn't change. It's not like God was saying, do you know what, I've had second thoughts. No, I didn't want you to go. Please go back. Okay, it fitted in, didn't it? It was the next phase of it. And often... My concern is that I, people tell me, I've got this prophetic word and it hasn't happened yet. And it's maybe a few years ago. And I'm, normally my thing is, okay, what, is, what has God said? And what is God saying? We often forget that second part. He's a father who loves us. We heard that story again this morning, that story about Derek Redmond, the, the athlete. I love that story. Always makes me cry every time I see it. But it's a God who wants to carry on speaking to us. He wants to blow new life into it. He wants to refresh you in it. He maybe wants to give you a fresh way of looking at it. Maybe you thought that's what it meant, and it means you're going here. Actually, that's maybe not what God meant at all. And someone in your community group has been praying for you, and they've got this word for you. Or someone, maybe someone in your family said, you know what, I think God means this. And you just need to go back to him and listen again to find out what he's got to do. Lift up your eyes. Look from the place where you are. Where you are is not irrelevant. Do you understand that? Often we think it is, but I'm just in this job. I'm just in this setting. And God said to do this, but here's, no, I'm just here. Where you are is relevant. It's crucial. Abraham wasn't, didn't, God didn't say to Abraham, yeah, let's take you somewhere else. Now look up from the place where you are. Where you are isn't irrelevant, but it's not the end. Okay, let's move on quickly to a finish. I would suggest that in our 21st century instant push-button, why haven't I got it immediately culture, we struggle with the notion of things taking time. Everything else we could generally do fairly quickly. You know? Stuff that we can access, things we can change. I love the fact, several of them, uh, one of, my oldest daughter lives in Vancouver now. We can talk to her easily, quickly, in a way that when Suzanne first moved from Vancouver to England, she had to book her appointment with a phone box and had to go with a stack of 10 Ps. That's ancient history for many of you. Okay, Things change, and it's great to have an instant access. So I could WhatsApp my daughter now and get a ping back you know, within a few seconds. Incredible. 
that makes it harder for us to understand that some things don't happen instantly because we're so used to it. God understands our humanity. He knows we can be prone to be giving up. I would love every Christian to know this verse off by heart. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Paul doesn't tell the Galatians, I think it is, he doesn't tell them to, oh, don't grow weary of having fun. Don't grow weary of eating. Don't grow weary of relaxing. Why not? Because we don't. We don't grow weary of those sort of things. It's not possible for me to grow weary of having too much fun. Oh, not fun again. Had enough of that. I can grow weary of doing good. I'm susceptible to it. I'm vulnerable to it. Particularly if the outcome of what I want to see doesn't happen. I'm doing this so that this happens, but this hasn't happened yet. So therefore, oh, maybe God's not in that, or I'm just tired, and maybe it's not maybe it's not the best use of my time. I love that one. God's told you to invest in your neighbors. God's told you to build something in your community. God's told you to give yourself to something particular. Hang on in there. Don't grow weary of doing good. But they didn't say thank you. or He didn't want to come to Alpha. I'll let you into a little secret. I became a Christian when I was 21. And it was after several years of my Christian friends working hard at me and on me. I don't think I gave them a lot of encouragement. I didn't phone them every so often and say, hey, you guys are nearly there. Just, just keep going a bit longer. I think I'm getting close. You know, just hang on in there because that bit really helped me. Um, and this bit was brilliant. And I, do you know what? I think I just need to get this sort of uh, Jesus and all that. I didn't do that. Not because I was deliberately being spiteful. I don't think so anyway. Because I didn't really understand what was happening in me anyway. I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't articulate all of it. I couldn't understand it. But I, certainly didn't, I certainly didn't think to be considerate enough. Actually, if I, if I don't give them some encouragement, they might stop. I, I would never think like that. And my guess is, even if you have very considerate, unbelieving friends, I don't think they will. I mean, they might do. I'm not saying this is a doctrine, okay? But generally, we don't give people encouragement to help them stop giving up. But they did reap a reward. In, in, they did reap the reward in the end. I, I came to a place of faith. But I wasn't going back and giving them encouragement. They had to get that for themselves in God. You will need to do that. Because if God calls you to something, and it's something giving yourself to other people, I can guarantee that at some point you will feel like giving up because you're not seeing it happen either in the time frame that you wanted to or in the manner that you wanted to. So my simple advice, my simple encouragement, and can I encourage you to get good at that with each other if you're not already? Hey, guys, don't give up. What can I do to help you not give up? I can't wave a magic wand and promise, oh yeah, just another 30 seconds and that will happen. Oh yeah, just if it's a good thing and a right thing to do, let's carry on believing God together that he will work out through what he wants to do. Which is what our Saviour did, didn't he? He never gave up. 
Never got deflected from the course. Set his face like flint. Hung on the cross. Saw it through to the final declaration. It's finished. And we're not, we're not talking about a bit of minor discomfort, are we? What King Jesus did to enable our salvation to be won and achieved so that I can stand in the good of that today cost him on all sorts of levels. On all sorts of levels. And I loved our worship this morning. We're in him now. Did you pick that up? Real great emphasis that because of that I can have hope. Because he lives in me. And crazily, that promise to Abraham that we read in Chester is being worked out through you. His government will increase. As you are sharing the good news about Jesus, it carries on increasing. Abraham's descendants are being added to because in Christ, in, through you, that's continuing to be fulfilled in this locale, in this place, in this area. You are working out that promise to Abraham that he got so many thousands of years ago at a time he was told to look up and expect more than what he could see. I'm closing now. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Find ways, as often as you can, to remind yourselves what God has said to you, what he's promised to you, what he has in store for you. His government will continue to increase. Why wouldn't it? He's a sovereign king. Might not look like that at times. Might not increase in the way that we want it to. Oh, but I thought he would get saved yesterday. Or I thought he would do this. It doesn't always work like that, does it? But he will. The promise is that it will. And so I need you to help me to be encouraged to not give up in it. And that's what I want to do for you. Please don't pretend revival's happening when it isn't. Let's be realistic. Look from the place where you are. But I'm the only one in my workplace. I'm the only one in my street. Okay, that's where you are. Be realistic. Look up from where you are. That isn't the end of the story. God wants to blow on it. God wants to refresh you in it. Have a realistic assessment. That is what's happening now. That doesn't have to be the end of the stories. Why don't you believe God for something different? Be a man, a woman, a child of faith who builds his life on what God has said. Stay true to that. I don't seriously think anyone would say to me, I don't know you, so you might. I don't seriously think anyone's going to say to me, actually, Michael, I'm sorry, God couldn't save my neighbour. They're just too hard. I know God's powerful, but you haven't seen my neighbour. Okay, uh, so, so I'm afraid that one is, yeah, I know he's a sovereign, miraculous God, but forget it with this guy. No, no one's seriously going to say that to me, but often that's how we could think. Or a family member. But I've been praying for years. Who said we're at the end of the story yet? Who said we're at the end of the story? If you've been praying for years, carry on praying. Carry on loving. Carry on serving. Now, I know that's easier said than done. I'm not trying to be trite. But actually, what other choice do you have? Well, you can give up. You could give up. But the motivation that started you doing that, surely is what makes you want to carry on, isn't it? Your love, your concern for your neighbour, your family member, your friends. I'm so glad people persevere with me. 
over several years of not responding to the gospel. If we only focus on what we can see, we end up disappointed. Abraham could have chosen what he could see, or he could chose to respond to what God had showed him. Better to be like that, isn't it? To be genuinely a people who expect to have hope and opportunities. Not in an unrealistic way. Not that plays games with people's situations. Oh yeah, I'm healed. Doesn't look like it. He's saved. Sure. Oh yeah, he put his hand up because I pushed it. Let's look for the genuine thing. Don't set the bar too low. Let's encourage each other not to give up so that we believe what we can see. Look up from your eyes, lift up your eyes, look from the place where you are, remind yourselves and encourage yourselves in what God has for you in Christ. He's a good father, isn't he? There are good stories in your life. There's already been some, I'm sure. And again, I don't know you. But I know God has, there's testimonies of what God has done already provided for you. And there are more. So here's what I'd love you to do. I'm really happy to pray for you if there are areas of disappointment or challenges that you think, I just need God to break in. What I'd rather you did, I'm happy to do that, what I'd rather you did is put yourself back in a situation where you're making yourself accountable to someone that you trust and someone who loves you. Say, I thought God said this to me. Can you pray for me? Can you hold me accountable to it? Because again, often I think there's a danger. People say, oh yeah, pray for me. I'm happy to pray for you. Let's get the solution. Okay? And I'm happy to do that. And God does those sort of things. It's not that God never speaks and he never speaks instantly. He does. But maybe what you need to do is go back and get some accountability with it, with people that can hold you to it. Rather than think, oh, I came to, that guy prayed for me, I was hoping that would be the magic fix. I don't know why you think that of me, but there you go. Um, you know, that, I, I'm happy to pray for you, but I'd rather actually you sort out people that you journeyed with already, that have seen the journey, that are happy to blow on it and speak new life into it. Maybe in your midweek groups, maybe in family friendships, maybe with people that you came with. So I'm done. Any, any questions just as we close? Anyone got a question? Is that a question? Someone on the hand at the back. Yeah. No? Okay, can we stand and we'll pray? Father, I thank you for each individual here. Thank you for your story in their story. Thank you for ways that you've invaded their lives, where you've brought incredible transformation about, where decisions have changed, where courses have been realigned, where it seemed like this was going to happen, but actually from your words, just like Peter, the nets were laid down again or something like that. I pray, I pray for those of us that are living with uncertainty, with disappointment, with confusion. God, help us keep our eyes fixed on you. Thank you, you're a good, good father. Thank you, we have the best place to go to. We have the best place to go to when there's uncertainty. A God who's 
completely solid. There's no flickering. There's no flakiness with you. We don't understand what you do, Father, but we recognize that's our problem sometimes. And we just need to line up our thinking. So I pray, I pray for faith to rise. But there's been disappointment and there's a real provocation to go again and there's a nervousness about that, maybe even with some reason. Father, would, would, we, would we be those that are prepared to throw our nets out again? Would we be those that are prepared to look up again rather than, rather than just settle for the disappointments? Actually, when you breathe, when you speak, actually look up again from the place where you are. Don't ignore where you are. Look up again that we would see you and take courage and confidence from you and who you are. I pray for this church. I pray for the individuals here. I pray they will be men, women and children of faith who take you at your words and respond to you in kind through, through disappointments, through discouragements, running, running, running till the end as we heard earlier. And ask this, God, not just because these people are great people, but for the sake of the gospel, that we wouldn't miss out, we wouldn't give up, because we will reap in season. Help us, O oh God, I pray. Amen.